You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. Welcome back to my living room. It's been three weeks since George Floyd was murdered by policemen in Minneapolis. We saw it happen. I mean, we can't unsee it, and we can't unsee the wanton brutality of those cops. As Will Smith said quite a while ago, racism hasn't gotten worse, it's gotten filmed. And then suddenly, while we're watching this in replay, 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 it felt like a kind of pornography of violence. Then we started to see more acts of police brutality as if almost people were performing for cameras between the baton wielding and the fierce shoving and the tear gas and the neck crushing. I guess it's it's a wake-up call. I'm sorry it took all that to recognize the oppression that all Black lives have survived under. So now we know more and we're seeing things we couldn't see, didn't want to see, avoided, and now we're going to do everything we can to make it better. Here at headquarters, we are reading books by Black authors and supporting Black-owned businesses. We're attending webinars. We want to be allies, but we want to do it in the right way and not just join the fray. Well, This is an awkward transition, but I'm going to tell you that my friend Janice Hirsch posted this week that there are only 19 more Tuesdays until Election Day. 19 weeks. That doesn't sound like much at all. This has been the strangest year, hasn't it? And the strangest, worst time, and people are having these non-birthdays, non-events, I was originally planning to go travel myself to the swing states and offer an assist, but obviously everything is done by phone or Zoom or text. I'm curious if any of you are planning to do work either for a candidate or for getting out the vote or voter registration. Do let me know. Write to me at my website at lisabernbach.com. Meanwhile, have you been laughing lately? I don't know if I've taken the time or felt it was appropriate to laugh. But my guest this week is Saturday Night Live alumnus Alan Zweibel. He's here with his new book, Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier. He wrote with Gilda Radner on SNL. He co-created its Gary Shandling show. He wrote the play 700 Sundays with Billy Crystal. Alan knows everyone Everyone not only likes him, they invite him to dinner and they invite him and his wife, Robin, on vacation. That's how funny. So you'll want to listen to that. But first, here's my list of the five things that made life better for me this week. Number one, structure. My days do feel more productive when I have some appointments, virtual appointments, when I have a to-do list or when I have a plan in my head. I'm not the person I wish I were, who's learned a new language in the 10 weeks, because it's possible to do. I haven't learned chess or mahjong. I have four knitting or needlepoint projects or embroidery projects in a chair in front of the TV, lest I ever do that. I I haven't done the things I wanted to do. I'm mid-cleanup. I've been mid-cleanup for weeks, but structure is good. Number two, This is a corollary. 
I have three regularly scheduled either Zoom or conference calls a week, and they are the tent poles of my week. I've been guilty of not knowing what day it is. I respect my mother, who is almost 90, even though she won't admit it, because she knows what day it is by which times, which issue of the times came. Oh, it's science, it's Tuesday. Food, it's Wednesday. But now, since the pandemic, I don't usually get the paper early. And so, you know, I need these phone calls. Now, what's happened in these phone calls is that we're going deep. We're going much deeper than we would have if we were just having lunch in the olden days. I think we value our connections so much. We want to download who we are and take in who they are and get a closer connection because these are such uncertain times. And I'm loving these phone calls. And the weird thing is one of them is with people I barely know. And it's still gotten kind of personal. I was recruited, I I showed up, and I'm liking it. So I feel like if you can find one friend or even a group, and maybe they don't have to be all close, you will have this delightful connection and a structure and a tentpole to your week. Number three, the mail. Sometimes the mail is the only reason I leave my apartment. I am all for saving the U.S. post office. I find myself writing notes and mailing them. Going to the the mailbox is also a nice activity across the street. I go with my mask. I wear a glove and I do it. So mail. Number four, buying books from independent bookstores. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of bookshop.com. It's a great website because you can order the books you want to read, but you're not giving the money to, to the trillionaire. You're you're giving money to bookshops all across the country. You can focus in on Black-owned bookshops. You can focus in on bookshops in a certain place. I grew up as a reader, as a very passionate reader, I think in part because the local bookstore, the Lenox Hill Bookstore, which was on Madison Avenue between 86th and 87th Street, had a proprietor who wore a white coat or a beige coat over his suit as if he were a doctor or a diagnostician. And he always took time with everyone, not just me, to find a book that would be, oh, you liked Little Women, maybe you'll like this. Or I was thinking you might enjoy that. The Burlington Bookstore was a remarkable independent bookstore that couldn't stay open after a Barnes & Noble opened nearby. So let's keep those stores alive. A purchase from bookshop.com is also a fundraiser. It's philanthropic. They, they give money to support the bookstores, I think, in addition to the book sales. I'm not exactly sure, but it's a kind of way to feel virtuous. Number five. The Supreme Court, they did something I like this week. In Bostock versus Clayton County, the professional discrimination or termination of a person because of sexual orientation or gender identification is now illegal. Six to three was the vote. Good on them. This decision gave me a glimmer of hope that at least some decency is still in our government. And coming up... Funny Guy, Alan Zweibel.
My guest is Alan Twybell, a humor writer, a performer, but mostly a writer. His new book is called Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier. And I wish I could give you a little hug, Alan. It's so nice to talk Uh, to you. I wish there was some way I can just reach through this computer and just grab you. That's yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the fingerprints that are on my uh, my laptop right now. <laughs> as, as you hug all the interviewers on your tour. Yeah. yeah. The book is your memoir. It's really funny. I'd say the biggest eye-opener for me as, an, as a longtime friend who isn't that close a friend because I'm not mentioned in the book, is how <laughs> funny Robin is. Because when I'm with you and your wife, Robin, very often we're at a thing. There are a lot of people. She doesn't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> but according to your book, she is hilarious. Yeah, Robin is. Um, we met when uh, I was a writer on Saturday Night Live. She was a production assistant, and she made me laugh right away. And uh, she's been doing it since this past November was our 40th anniversary for those of you, Whoa, um, God bless. Yeah, for those of you who bet the under, you lost. We, uh, <laughs> we, um, we're still going strong. We've got three kids, five grandchildren, and I wouldn't be able to do what I do without her. She's an inspiration, and also what she does is she under, you know, she worked on SNL, so she saw right. what writing the life of a writer was like and the temperament was like. And so uh, it was sort of like on-the-job training, but she still couldn't uh, anticipate uh, half the stuff that uh, she's been put through. But she's a trooper, and she's great. uh, (laughs) You do talk uh, in the book a lot about the downs you've had as well as the ups. Um, I think that people who are not writers, professional, full-time writers, do not understand what it's like to feel uninspired, don't understand that there's not a backup career to do. You can't go make a cabinet for somebody and then come (laughs) back and finish a script. Could we talk about that a little? Oh, absolutely. And you're right. It's a high wire act. You know, you write what you believe in and uh, you do your best. You put your words in whatever order you think that they should be put in. And if it's a production, you know, you cast and uh, you, you have directors and there's a lot of people and you put your best foot forward and the product comes out, you know, th- then it's in the hands of a different God. You know, it's right. ti- timing is a lot of it. Um, is the public ready for this? Is the public never going to be ready for this? Is it a miscalculation? And what's interesting is, in, you know, in TV and in movies, and I talk about two failures, uh, in one in each of those, what you do doesn't come out for a couple of years if, in the case of a movie. So you're trying to predict something that the public will maybe embrace what they'll be ready for a couple of years from now. And you can either miss the mark or get lucky and other timing is right. For me, it's always been the process. Is the process fun? And some of the things that I've done that have been successful, my memories of them aren't that great because the process was arduous. And it was like, okay, and uh, you know, Lisa, you know, some, some things are easy to write and some of them, oh God, please. It's like English is your third language. And then there's, um, <laughs> there's other things where the public didn't embrace it the way you would hope, but you go, you know, something that was the, uh, 
we took that trip to Hawaii and we shot that scene there. And that's when we became good friends with so-and-so and his wife. And so the memory of it is about the process. That's something Rob Reiner had told me years ago. And he's absolutely right. You remember, you know, what you want to do is work with people that you're going to have dinner with afterwards, you know, yeah. if you're working with yeah. other folks. Well, if you're lucky enough, I mean, the people you've worked with are extraordinary, like Rob Reiner, like Larry David, like Steve Martin, like Martin Short, like, and of course, Billy Crystal. I mean, it's not like you're writing for schleppers. No, I think that's are, the word. Is that the official word? It is the word. It's the official yeah. word. I think Mark Twain yeah. first used that word. Yes, Schleppers. well, <laughs> I love Twain. <laughs> no, but these, what, what's fun about that, you know, look, Billy Crystal and Larry David and I met each other when we were all starting out at the clubs here in New York in 1974. And we were friends before any of us was successful. So the New York roots and the... And those days, that's the bond. We became friends. We, you know, I met Billy and his wife, and he had one child, Jenny, at the time. And Larry and I used to hang around. And now, in the mid-90s, the three of us found ourselves, we were uh, sharing a, a suite of offices in Beverly Hills for mm. Castle Rock, which was Rob Reiner's production company. Now, what were the odds of that? Three people who started out the same week. No, I know. Different. And then Rob Reiner, was, he hosted the third Saturday Night Live ever. So it was oh, like, wow. wow, look how this happened. You know? Wow. And so I've been very, very lucky. And, but there are friendships there. And there's also what's important is there's a shorthand and there's a degree of trust. When Billy asked me to help him write his uh, one-man Broadway show, 700 Sundays, he was basically trusting me with his family. Yeah. He was asking me to put words in the mouth of the mouths of the people who were nearest and dearest to him. And I took that very seriously. So there's a degree of comfort that you need. And also, I guess what you also have to put your ego aside. If you're writing with somebody for that person, whether it be Gary Shandling or Gilda or Billy or, uh, or Larry, you, at best, you're vice president. You know, you, you can say, look, I think you should say this or that. And if they're not comfortable saying it, um, it doesn't matter. They're not going to say it, it with conviction. They won't do it. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, that's a wonderful story that you tell about Billy picking you up at your parents' home in his little VW bug mm -hmm. and driving you to the city. And you would try to get time at an open mic at where? Uh, Catch Rising Star? It was Catch Rising Star. Right, yeah. Rick um, Rick Newman's place, Newman's Club. Right, and that was the place where everybody was discovered. You know who used to MC there a lot was, of course, Joe Piscopo. And I remember going once and seeing a singer and thinking she's pretty good. I should get her to come sing at college. So Pat Benatar wrote her name and phone number on a piece of paper because yeah. I thought you know I could help her out. But there were some huge talents. And then when you finished at two in the morning, Billy would drive home because he lived on Long Island with his wife and you lived with your mom and dad. I moved back in with my parents. Yeah. Right. And we used to play the cassettes and, and, and critique each other's acts, how we did that night. This joke worked. Or what if you said this this way or that way? And so for so many years, Billy and I just completed a movie that we wrote together that Billy directed. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. It's called Here Today. 
And right. Billy stars in it with Tiffany Haddish. And the movie's done, and I'm very, very proud of it. And we're just waiting to see, okay, how are people going to watch movies in the future? Because this is a movie that Good will make you, make you laugh and cry. So it's the kind of thing that is best appreciated in a communal kind of situation in an audience. Yeah. So you all yeah. go for the same ride. So we're holding out. But if it ends up that, boy, it's going to be three years until that happens, maybe it's Netflix or Hulu. You know, that, that decision will be made by uh, people other than myself, you know, the producers, right. the money folks, you know. Okay. So Tiffany Haddish makes me laugh all the time. Is she really Jewish? She had a bat mitzvah. Yeah. I want to say heard three about months ago that was a Billy went to. I had a conflict though. I didn't fly out to LA for it. Robin and I were invited, but Billy was uh, texting me during it. She was uh-huh. sincere about it. She, uh, she chanted a half Torah. There was she a speech. Did? Yeah. It was a wow. bat mitzvah. It was a real bat mitzvah. It was a real bat mitzvah. Yeah. Well, so I guess that means she's Jewish. She's part of the tribe. That's right. Wow, that's good. Yeah, God I like forbid her. anything happens, she's on our side. Yes, you know? God forbid. Well, yeah, exactly. And uh, well, we shouldn't talk about the movie really because we're trying to talk about your book. Sure. But excited about your movie. Um, so you and Gilda Radner had a very special relationship. It feels like it was a real love that you had for one another. And I would say that you really had for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Let's translate that. Shall we? Okay. Uh, Shall we? Okay. I can be lofty and say there was a purity about the love that we had because it was a platonic love affair that lasted from the minute we met until, well, the minute she died, okay? Right. That's a very lofty, very sweet uh, way of putting it. And that's, I would say that's 80% true. The 20% is, I didn't want it to be platonic, okay? And so I said, okay, I said to myself, if these are the rules that I've got to live by, I'll live by them. But one of these days, she'll open her eyes and see the glory of the person sitting across from her. With a large head. With the huge yeah. head. You know. Well, you know what's so what's so crazy is that in the process, and you were amazingly, you were hired to be one of the first writers at SNL. She was in the cast. And the way you worked together, since you were basically in love with her, was going out to meals and hanging out and leaving NBC and going for a walk. Everything about it is what you would be doing if you had been dating her, except that you were writing also. Yeah, that was the sex. (laughs) Sex was Roseanne, Roseanne, Dan. It was a sublimation of every male urge that I had. It was invested into whatever it was we were writing. And yes, it was, we would take legal pads to Charlie O's, if you remember that restaurant, or Gallagher's. Uh, Steakhouse, yeah, yeah, the Palm, and I don't uh-huh. know if you remember, Lisa. There was a Japanese restaurant downstairs in the Woodward Hotel called Chinya. I Chinya was my favorite restaurant. It was kind of a dive. Oh yeah, it was. But disgusting. the food was great. Uh, that's I right. think. Yeah, I, and I hope so. I, I and it was open till like four in the morning. That's so you go right. there. You go there after whatever else you were doing. Yeah. That's exactly I once right. Sat, I, I once was there, and the person at the table next to me was Mick Jagger. I didn't even, I could barely eat. 
<laughs> I was staring at him all night. Sure, sure. Yeah. It, it was, if, it, Shinya. For those of you who like uh, raw fish at, let's say, 3.30 in the morning, that's where you, that's where you yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so you would go there with her. Oh, yeah, because it was all walking distance from 30 Rock. Right. And we would go with legal pads and pens, and we'd work on whatever the sketch was that week, whatever we felt like working on. It was mostly, you wanted to get out of the office. You know, a lot of, look, a lot of the stuff that... Um, I've written with anybody. I, I work a lot with Dave Barry now. We've collaborated mm -hmm. on a couple of books, and uh, it's social. It's uh, collaboration is social. It gets you. Well, yes, yeah. I think I think that comes through in the book. I think you know the fact, and you referred to it before. Uh, Hawaii, the shoot wasn't great, but we made friends. We had dinner, and those are still friends. That's kind of a recurring theme in your book, wouldn't you say? I would think so because what it is is look when when you write with somebody else, there's an alchemy. You know the the, the sensibilities there's of the. Yeah, I'm there's sorry. an intimacy, actually. Well, there's I an mean, let's let's just I mean, not in a sexy way, except for you and Gilda. But there is a kind of you learn how the other person thinks. And also, you want to make them laugh. That's don't absolutely you? You're I mean, it's such you're, no, there's an exposure there. That's absolutely right. You, you're putting yourself out there. And uh, you, you're showing your, your soul. And there is a marriage there. And mm -hmm. the, the sensibilities are similar enough where you respect each other and make each other laugh, but they're different enough where the result is something that neither of you could have made by yourself. Yes, so yes, it's your, exactly. So it becomes a child. So the intimacy is very, very acute. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't hurt if you and whomever you're collaborating with go to dinner and your wives get along. I guess it would be different if your wives did not get along or partners or whoever. Yeah, you know, I've been really lucky that way. Robin and Janice Crystal are very close. I'm working with right. uh, Barry Levinson right now. And Robin oh, Diana. and uh, Diana, they, they get along. They, they make each other laugh a lot. Michelle Kaufman, who is uh, Dave Barry's wife. So it's the social aspect of it. Is, and you're a thousand percent right. Is not limited to the two of you working together. It spills over into restaurants or trips together. And trips, it, yeah, you it, do trips. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, 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 it enriches the experience. Sure. Right. Right. Okay. What do you think when you watched or watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Did it bring back uh, acutely memories of when you played the Catskills? No, not really. Um, that's not to say that... Well, you didn't do it in 1958, that's for sure. No, I got to the Catskills in 1972. And as right. a writer, I was I got there after all the people who were going to be stars had already went on to <laughs> become left. them. Okay. <laughs> so I was left with basically the dregs. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Really nice guys, really good commercial competent comedians, but it was far from the heyday. It it yeah. wasn't the breeding ground anymore. So yeah, Morty Gunty was incredibly nice to me. Freddie Roman, Dick Capri. I mean, I can go on and on with names that nobody really ever heard of, but they were terrific commercial comedians. And right. they paid me $7 a joke, which was the going rate in 1972 when I got there. You know, and then uh, I was 22 and they were 45 and 50. And uh, the sensibilities were different. And that's, why, that's what drove me to, uh, okay, I think I've used the Caskills for, I've learned how to write a joke. 
I've made a couple of bucks. I want to be seen by people who are my age, who share my sensibility, hence my going to catch a rising star and the right. improvisation, you know, because right. they, they were our age, you know, give or right. take a couple of years. Right. And you talk about both in the beginning of the book when you're trying to write for these altacockers, but you realize you're in your 20s and the comedy they're doing is, you know, my wife. Oh, God. Blah, 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 blah. And now, towards the end of the book, you talk about how you couldn't write for SNL today. Well, it's interesting. You know, uh, there are people that, you know, since the book has come out, there's been a lot of publicity. They seize upon what you just said. And I maintained, look, I watch SNL every week. I love it. I think they've got some people on there uh, like Kate McKinnon, who could have been in any cast in any era. They've got some really terrific writers. I think that Cecily Strong is great. You know, so I I, I love the show. I I really do. Uh, Could I write for it? Uh, You know, maybe weekend update jokes. But as far as sketches are concerned, I, I'm curious. I'm curious as to whether or not I just turned 70. You know, oh, my I, God. The last week I turned 70. Well, when did that happen? Happy birthday. Thank wow. You. you still have a lot of hair on that large head. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was seated nicely by, uh, by, by the oh, Lord. Yes. 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 Uh, but, yeah. you know. I'll watch the show and then I won't know who the host is. And then I'll call our youngest daughter, (laughs) Sari, who's 31, and she'll tell me, oh, he's the star of, and then name a TV series that I've never- That you have never heard of. It's it's on a network I've never heard of. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. So I don't know if I would sound like an old man trying to make kids laugh. Just like I can't play for my old high school football team, but I still Mm. root for them. I just don't know. I I haven't been put to that test. And um, so, you know, so when I write a movie like I did with Billy, it's in my field of experience now. I couldn't have written it 10 years ago because this was what's in it is not my was not my experience then. So I'm I'm staying in my lane pretty much. Gotcha. But how great that there's still demand that you have the energy that it's happening because it's hard to get hired. I mean, that's the thing about being a freelance writer or a comedy writer. You know, you have to pitch a lot. And when you're pitching, I had the experience that I'm sure you've had. I was writing a TV pilot and I was pitching to 23-year-olds who had no affect. So I couldn't tell if they thought it was funny, if they thought it was promising. You know, it was certainly their references were different from mine, but, you know, that's why I had kids. Yeah. Be able to say Chance the Rapper and know who he is. (laughs) Absolutely. Alan, do you have five things that make your life better? Sure do. Okay, great. I would love it if you would tell me number one. Uh, We hit upon it earlier, my wife, Robin. I know that sounds corny, but um, she's number one on the list. She's uh, my lifeblood, and she uh, makes me laugh. And she has given me uh, all together, but she's allowed uh, me a life where uh, I can do what I do without uh, any sort of uh, provisions or my hands tied and let me realize who I am as a writer. So uh, I, I, I list her as number one. Excellent. It makes sense to me. Number two. The movie Duck Soup, the Marx Brothers uh. movie, is, I think, my favorite Marx Brothers movie. It is something that 
not only makes me laugh, but Harpo Marx, who is one of my favorite uh, actors of all time, because he doesn't speak and non-verbally, he um, can take a very tense situation and break the tension just by, you know, raising an eyebrow or doing something silly non-verbally. And I just think he was masterful. And I just think it's just joy in the movie. There's a big production number, and it, it's a war between two fictitious countries that is done in a silly way, but it was also, I don't know, it was also a parable uh, for what was going on in the world in 1939 or 41, whenever it was made. So you that, know, that movie- It's funny. I love that movie. What's the name of the country? Fredonia? There's Fredonia and Sylvania. Yeah, they were and warring. Sylvania. Yeah. Yeah. What I love is that probably a show like Veep couldn't have been conceived without Duck Soup, in a way. Um, I the think ridiculousness you're right. of it all. I think that we 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 are a result of what came before us. And if you look at some sort of a lineage, yeah, the uh, the tongue in cheek aspect of certain things, satire yeah. in particular. There is a family tree there. There's a genealogical chart that yeah. this begat this, and this was what that made that possible. And uh, yeah, I believe you're right. Well, I think it's cool that you're working with Barry Levinson because Wag the Dog was one of the most prescient movies ever. I agree. Incredibly so. Okay, number three. Now, I, I, I did not steal this from Mel Brooks. I just feel similarly. Nectarines. I, I can't... <laughs> I, I seriously, I know that Mel did it in the 2000 year old man. Yeah. This is an independent thought that when you get a good nectarine, it's like, oh, there is a God. There, there's something about a nectarine. I know. A, a fruit like this could be made not by man. It's a, it's a, it's a combo. And as Mel says, it's not a peach. It's not a plum. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's its own thing. And uh, so I, 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 you know, I didn't want to duplicate anybody else, but I just kept on coming back to Nectarine. So I'm going to give it, I'm going to, you know, doff my head in Mel Brooks's direction and say that I agree with him there. Well, I think I love the Nectarine. I have three in my kitchen, but yesterday we had a bad one and a bad Nectarine. They, oh, it's, it's not hell. often, but it's, it's such a disappointment. It's hell on earth because- the bar has been set so high by nectarines, indeed. Yes, yes. Excellent. Number four. Words. I love mm. words. I love breaking them down into roots, into predicates, to see where they came, whether it's of Greek origin or Latin origin. And um, I just, you can trace society and, and, and the history of man through uh, words. And I just like looking at words and going, okay, how did this word come about? You know, oh, penitentiary. Oh, wow. The beginning is penitent. Ah. Right. Ah. Yeah, okay. So I yeah. just like looking at them and then looking it up to see if I was right and to see how one thing became a word. And um, uh, so I have words as my number four. Excellent. And number five. Okay. This is a little bizarre. Baseball fields, but when no one is playing on it, there's something <laughs> to me about just the architectural, the layout of a baseball field. You know, I have hanging in my office here a New Yorker cover, which is one of my favorite New Yorker covers, if not my favorite ever, from 1949. And it shows a baseball field on a fall day. The shadows are starting to come. So it must be late in the day, let's say 6 o'clock. 
and there's nobody there except a young boy sliding into home plate. And there's mm. nobody there. There's no game going on. So you know this kid is play acting. It's a literal field of dreams. And I just love the memories that it evokes and the hope that the young boys attach to it and uh, fathers rooting on, sons on or taking them to their first games at professional, uh, you know, the major league. So I just love baseball fields. Did you play baseball? No. In yes, college? I did. Yes, I did. I played uh, in high school and I played a year in college. Yes. And how are you taking the fact that there is no live baseball in this country right now? I, I'm having a hard time. Like anybody uh, who's a sports fan, come the weekend, come the nights, uh, you go. You can just watch so much Law and Order SVU. You can the <laughs> other stuff. How many rapes until you've seen enough? Oh, God. And, and, and it's to the point where I play a little game with myself. How soon? Can I guess what the episode is without reading oh. the description? And oh, some of them, I, the first shot, I go, oh, yeah, this is the one where her mother gets a uh, thing. It's, it's enough already. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, Alan, it's always wonderful to talk to you. Oh, I love it. I'm sorry we're not having a delicious lunch. But well, we'll have it when, when in due time, Lisa. We'll, you yeah. Know. Well, I would say that having a sense of humor is one of the best ways to get through these really difficult, perplexing times that are unprecedented. And talking to you and reading Laugh Lines, which has a foreword by Billy Crystal, by the way, is a wonderful diversion. So thank you so much. I love speaking to you, Lisa, and hopefully I'll see you again very soon. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Alan Zweibel, author of Laugh Lines, My Life Helping Funny People Be Funnier, published by Abrams Books. You can follow Alan Zweibel on Twitter at Alan Zweibel, on Instagram, Alan Zweibel Official. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio, wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find us. My blog is at lisabernbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Spressa Arucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, stay safe, wear a mask, and act natural. Act natural with your mask. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.